Hi everyone, it's Danny, and today we're going to be looking at the third chapter of the novel White Tiger, which is called The Fourth Morning. Um, when you're listening to this lecture, I want you to make sure that you're taking notes. It's okay if you want to pause the lecture at any point to write down something, or if you've listened to it already and you want to fast forward, that's fine as well. But it's really important that you write down something concrete so you have something to take away from this lecture today. Uh, so one of the first things that I wanted to point out to you guys is something interesting about the structure of the novel. So we already know that this novel is epistolary, so essentially it's a series of letters that's written from one character, Balram, to another character, the Chinese premier Wen Jiabao. And something interesting to note is that Balram is often writing either at night time or in the daytime. And it's interesting because it kind of builds on that theme of darkness and light. And that sort of theme is embedded throughout the entire novel. So it can be darkness in terms of evening or it can be darkness in terms of the corruption that exists inside of all of us. So that's just something small that I want you guys to keep in mind while you're reading through the novel. Chapter 3 is a pretty interesting one because it starts to get into the kind of political corruption that is inherent in this version of India that Adiga is showing us. And it's an incredibly corrupt sort of a, an environment that Balram is growing up in. And I guess there's this sort of central question that is inside the book, and that is, well, is Balram born evil or is he born bad, keeping in mind some of the evil that he's done, like killing Mr. Ashok, his um, employer, and also stealing and some of the other things that he does. Is he born bad or is it is his environment that makes him bad? And that's kind of a debate that's spread throughout the entire novel and I guess it's up to the reader's interpretation. But chapter three is a chapter that really starts to explore this kind of idea. So just on that first page of the chapter, on page 79, when it says, for the desk of... But we don't really need these formalities anymore, do we, Mr. Jabal? It's interesting, isn't it? Balram kind of has this almost seductive tone. Like, he's really, um, he's really intelligent and he's witty and he has this kind of cynical attitude towards the world. Like, he expects the worst and he sees the worst in it. But he is seductive in the sense that his humour and his intelligence kind of, in a way, offset the evil that he's capable of. Like, some readers walk away from this book still liking Balram, even though he slit his master's throat with a piece of glass. So there's aspects of Balram's personality that still appeal to us as readers, even though he does horrific things. He's a complicated character. He's a realistic character. He's capable of good and bad. And I guess that kind of divide is something that I want you to keep in mind. So throughout the novel, Adiga looks at a number of different aspects of Indian society and how it's corrupt. So in uh, the first or the second chapter, Balram sort of describes the school that he, grow that he goes to when he's a child in Luxembourg, and he talks about how the teacher siphons off some of the money that's meant for the school children in order to um, make a better living for himself. And this corruption isn't just isolated to small-scale stuff like that school teacher. It's also invo involved in some of the highest levels of Indian society. So the example that he gives in Chapter 3 is about India's voting system. And so on page 80, he sort of talks about to Wenjabao, he says, so I got a birthday from the government. 
I had to be 18. All of us in the tea shop had to be 18, the legal age to vote. There was an election coming up. The tea shop owner had already sold us. He had sold our fingerprints, the inky fingerprints, which were the illiterate person makes on the ballot paper to indicate his vote. If you pause and think about that, it's actually pretty horrific. What that indicates is that as a poor person in India, as one of those members of one of the lower castes, Balram's employer sells off his fingerprints to political parties for the highest bidder so that they're assured of getting a victory when the elections happen. And that idea of votes being sold off, it flies in the face of that idea of democracy. And it kind of gets to that idea of just how corrupt this society is and how much it's set against someone like Balram. And depending on your interpretation of the character, maybe you can start to understand that rage and that anger that's starting to build up inside of him. There's another really interesting moment in this chapter where after Balram describes the corrupt sort of elections that are being held in India where the great socialist is becoming the leader year in, year out, despite the fact he's doing nothing for the country. Balram actually describes to the Premier, he says on page 85, If I may go back for a moment to that wanted poster, Your Excellency. Being called a murderer? Fine. I have no objection to that. It's a fact. I am a sinner, a fallen human, but to be called a murderer by the police, what a fucking joke. It's a really interesting quote because Balram on the one hand acknowledges what he is. He says, I'm a murderer and I'm a sinner, you know, to decent standards of human behaviour. I'm something awful, I'm something reprehensible. But he also points out the hypocrisy of this society where in a world where your fingerprint will be sold off at the high, to the highest bidder. The police have the right to call you a sinner when what they're doing is actually more corrupt and more awful, arguably, than what Balram does. And so this is a novel that likes to highlight that idea of hypocrisy and it likes to attack it. And I think that it uses Balram as its mouthpiece to attack all the terrible things that happen in a corrupt society. So as this chapter goes on, Balram also reveals that the Stork and Athok, they're also involved in this corruption with the great socialists. So this sort of um, corruption is taking place on all levels of Indian society, right from the top with someone like the great socialist to people who are wealthy like Athok and the Stork, and it gradually trickles its way down to someone from an even lower caste like Balram. It's almost like this novel is saying that in order to make it in India, in this society, you have to be corrupt. You have to be willing to do really terrible things because there's no other way for you to get ahead. So after it's revealed that Athok and the Stork are corrupt and they're working in with the great socialists, um, committing crimes, Balram finds out that there's going to be an opportunity for one of the drivers to be able to go with Athok to Delhi. And Balram decides that he's going to do whatever it takes to ensure that it's going to be him that gets to go to Delhi. And I guess that what Adig is doing here is he's contrasting the corruption that's taking place in, in, at, in India at a social level, so with the elections and what the police are doing and the teacher, 
with some kind of corruption that the individual does, like someone like Balram. So we know that Balram has been working with Ram Prasad, and Ram Prasad is the number one servant in the household at this point up until the novel. And then Balram, who observes him for a while, works out that this guy has a secret. This guy is acting kind of funny. And he works out after spying on Ram Prasad that Ram Prasad is a Muslim. And he decides, knowing that he's a Muslim, which is um, something, or it's a a belief that's looked down upon in this society, he decides to use this knowledge to his own advantage. So Balaram reveals to Ram Prasad that he knows that he's a Muslim, and he blackmails him so that he can become the number one servant. Um, It's interesting, because after Balaram actually blackmails him and he slaps him across the face to assert his dominance, on page 92, there's actually this moment where Balram feels guilty for what he's done. So for the blackmail of Ram Prasad, he says on page 92, In the morning, someone came into the room. It was ex-driver number one, Ram Prasad. Without a word to me, he began packing. All of his things fitted into one small bag. So Balram's taking over ownership of the room. He's going to have the better room as the number one servant now. The quote continues, I thought, what a miserable life he's had, having to hide his religion, his name, just to get a job as a driver. And he's a good driver, no question of it, a far better one than I'll ever be. Part of me wanted to get up and apologise to him right there and say, you go and be a driver in Delhi. You never did anything to hurt me. Forgive me, brother. So there's this moment where he feels a lot of guilt and remorse for what he's done. But then Adiga kind of contrasts that moment of guilt with something really funny when it says, I turned to the other side, farted, and went back to sleep. So I guess in this world, in order to get ahead, feeling bad isn't going to get you anywhere. This is the kind of world that Balaram paints for us. In his head, he has to do what he does in order to get ahead, in order to become something different to what he was born into. It's the only way that he can kind of change his future and his fortune. So if you remember that I said in um, an earlier podcast, this is a novel of settings, of locations, and every time Balram moves, whether it's from Luxembourg to um, New Delhi or whether it is anywhere else in the novel, all of the settings represent a different change or growth in Balram's character. So if you look at the end of page 95, it says, When we meet again at midnight, remind me to turn the chandelier up a bit. The story gets much darker from here. And so he's foreshadowing that things are starting to become even darker in terms of his story. And that use of foreshadow makes the reader, I guess, excited or interested to see what's going to happen next. So that's the end of our podcast for today, for this chapter. Make sure that you've written down some notes. And if you have any questions at all or you're confused about what we've gone over, feel free to email me or Facebook me or speak to me in class.